When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. I have some updates on the SCART Cleaner project like I had promised last week, so please stay tuned to the end or skip to the timestamp because I'm going to need your help with finishing that project off. And also, I'm going to have to record these very early next week. I might miss it. Uh, it's some scheduling stuff, all good things, no bad things. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that if you have questions for next week, try to get them in a couple of days early. Um, and if I end up missing it all together, don't think I'm dead or something. I just had a scheduling thing. I hope I'm not dead. I hope I'm still here next week. Anyway, let's jump in. First up is a question about cabling from Oliver Clare. And Oliver has been talking with us the past couple of months about building a really awesome setup in a new place. And, uh, you know, just in the interest of everybody's time, I'm going to skip to the end. But if you're wondering why we're asking and talking about these weird cables and questions and stuff like that, um, it's basically just because of a full system build from scratch with a bunch of cool stuff. So basically the questions Oliver had were, regarding connecting different components with different style cables that might have different connectors um, or different signal conversions. So first, connecting two GSCART switches to the Extron crosspoint, all you would need is anything that is a plug style SCART, not the receptacle, going into the output of the GSCARTs to BNC. Nothing special, uh, just a basic pass-through cable. The one that Oliver linked to in retro gaming cables is totally fine. There's other sellers that make them good too, uh, but that one's totally fine. Next, from uh, for connecting an Amazon HDMI to SCART converter to a G-SCART switch, um, basically any any SCART cable should be fine. Now, of course, if you are if quality is a thing, if you're not talking about just watching old TV shows, if you're actually talking about gaming then you would really want to get something shielded like the one that you selected, but retro access and retro gaming cables both have fully shielded cables. Um, there are some out there that look shielded, but they are not. So it's really up to you. Um, you can get the cable direct cable with a K. Those are not bad considering they're not fully shielded uh, and they're very cheap. So if you're looking to just start out with one, that's fine. But yeah, if you want good shielded ones, either of the main cable sellers will definitely get that for you. Uh, for the output side, going from the Extron crosspoint to a GBS control. So this is an interesting one because if you just built a basic GBS control with that board there, all you would need is a BNC to VGA cable and that's it. Now, I believe you had mentioned, and if I'm confusing you with somebody else, my apologies, but I believe you had mentioned you got a pre-built kit, um, which replaced the VGA port with a SCART port. They didn't literally desolder it and everything, but where the case was built in, that's how it was connected. 
in that case, that you should still just be able to get a BNC to SCART pass-through cable. That should be completely fine. But um, if there's if that case that you bought somehow has a way to just unplug that and go direct in, maybe try that because the higher voltage on the sync line is actually a good thing this time. And as long as they built this properly, they really shouldn't be an issue. Heck, even if they didn't build it properly, even if it's just a SCART pass-through, that'll work, but it'll be more expensive to get a BNC to SCART than a BNC to VGA. And um, those, so BNC and VGA are not directional. So sometimes I say VGA to BNC, sometimes I say BNC to VGA. Those are not directional. They'll work in either way, but SCART cables always are. Uh, and SCART to SCART should not be directional, but BNC to SCART would be, or SCART to BNC. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, uh, they Next, they, they found a special cable um, with a resistor in it for connecting the cross point to the GBS control, but I don't think you need that at all here, but hold on to that for a minute. We'll go back. Um, then for connecting the Amazon HDMI to SCART converter to a consumer grade TV, just another SCART cable. And once again, if you're playing video games on this, or if you have a good quality solution, get shielded. But if you're really just saying, oh, I want to watch old TV shows through my streaming box on my CRT, I maybe save some money and get the cheap ones here. Um, then for connecting the Extron Crosspoint to the RetroTINK 5X. Here, here is where you want the BNC to SCART cable with the resistor in it. And what that will do is drop the sync voltage down to the proper level so that SCART equipment can handle it. By the way, this is exactly why I think you of all people should buy that $30 scope, because even if you only use it during setup and it, you just leave it in a drawer for months and then buy another one, uh, or, or not buy another one, leave it in a drawer for a few months and then pull it out when you buy another component, then this will already be the peace of mind. Because what you're talking about is, uh, you know, you mentioned, oh, do I need something like the SCART cleaner or, you know, should I have a specific cable? Once you start measuring the stuff yourself, then you you see, you visually see the answers to this. And I, by the way, I mean this all positively. I'm certainly not making fun of you or anything, but if you were to experiment and say, okay, well, what is this going to end up with? What if I plug this cable into this adapter and measure the output? You're going to go, oh, wow, okay, that's 1.2 volts. I'm not supposed to have it that high. So what if I do this solution? Oh, okay, well, that's 600 millivolts, 0.6 volts. So that's perfect. So that's, you know, that's the real reason. I, to be honest, I've always felt people should be, people who really seriously tinker should be investing in an oscilloscope. But I also don't think that $500 plus for a measuring tool that you barely use is fair to tell people. That's why I'm pushing the $30 one because 30 bucks, I mean, imagine, once again, not, not just you, Oliver, but imagine anybody is going through what you're going through and it's overwhelming because you have a stack of like 50 cables now and you've labeled everything, but you're just, you're tired, you're hooking things up and you plug the wrong cable into the wrong thing and you blow out your RetroTINK 5X or something else, you're out 300 bucks for something that you could have just checked with a $30 scope. And, or, and you know, situations like that, the RG Bench really comes in handy because as I showed in that video, you're just plugging stuff in. You don't even need to take, uh, need to take the probes out. So, you know, really consider that because while I'm happy to help, and I do think that when we discuss this in the Q&As, it helps other people in similar scenarios, 
you're always going to run into that. It's one o'clock in the morning. I just want to finish hooking this stuff up. So people are coming over tomorrow. I want to have a working setup. I'm half asleep. Those scenarios, if you're like, what do I do here again? And you were to just plug that SCART cable or the VGA cable into the RG bench, into the scope, fire it on and go, oh, okay. I mean, that that's kind of going to be something that's pretty decent. Uh, anyway, lastly, for connecting any composite or component cables, what about these generic RCA to BNC adapters? That's another one that I just wanted to mention for everybody. And people get really pissed at me when I say this, but I'm standing by it. That bag of 10, 10 for $10 generic RCA to BNC adapters is probably fine. I would suggest plugging them in um, and just use them. And if you have any issues, go back and first make sure that the cables are snugly pushed in. And if you still have issues, wiggle the cables. And if you see the colors flicker on screen, figure out what it is, take off that RCA to BNC and throw it in the garbage. Now, the reason people get mad is because they say, uh, somebody went on a full rant one time in the comments about how I'm just some rich, wasteful American, which fine, except here's your alternative. You could spend $3.50 each on the really good ones. And if you're using an Extron Crosspoint, you might actually need over a hundred of these. Do you really want to spend $3.50 each on these things just because you might have to throw out one out of a bag of 10? No. Now, same thing with using oscilloscopes. If you get that $30 cheap scope, you know, put the BNC connector on, wiggle it around. If everything's fine, it's fine. The only time I would absolutely say to use the expensive ones, which is why I have it listed on the oscilloscope page, is let's say you're a developer and you're using this scope, you know, the, the, the Rigel scope and some RCA cables to test something that you're designing. Yes, spend the money, get the good stuff. You only need four or five there anyway, so it's not like you need hundreds, but that's when you want to absolutely know you're buying stuff that's made with the best materials and the best connections on it. And that's the only time to spend the extra money. So if you could even find a bigger bag of that, maybe check AliExpress and get a bag of 100 RCA to BNC converters for, you know, 30 bucks, the same price as, you know, 10 of the expensive ones, you might have to throw out a handful of them, but you're still saving yourself hundreds of dollars. So to anybody that I upset by by saying throw out the ones that don't work, um, can I offer a calculator? Next up, Scott Linux said they obtained a Famicom to NES adapter that does not have a beveled edge. How would one do-it-yourself file down a connector edge of a PCB to make a properly beveled edge, or should you even try without proper tools? So a couple of things there. Um, I have a very strong opinion about this. If you were talking about a game cartridge, so you bought a, an expensive official repro, but they just threw a junky PCB in there or, or something like that, I, I would say just don't because it's very easy chance of you ruining that entire cartridge. However, in this context, you're talking about a Famicom to NES cartridge adapter that's probably 15 bucks. So, and most likely I'm going to tell you at the end of this to throw it out anyway. So give it, give this a try, see what you could do. 
I've had somebody say that they went up on the curb of their house and very carefully and lightly dragged the edge across the concrete on both sides, and that beveled it perfectly. And I, I saw the pictures. It, it came out perfect. I'm shocked myself. Um, I've seen people use files to carefully do that. And then I've seen mostly horror shows, including when I myself try to do it. Yeah, it's it's horrible. You'll, you, I mean this with love, Scott. You're most likely going to ruin this thing. But it's worth trying because most likely you're going to throw that in the trash. I do have some suggestions for you and everybody listening, though. First, anytime you see the brand Old School, uh, S-K-O-O-L, I've never seen anything good from them. Now, maybe they make some good stuff that I just haven't seen. That's certainly an issue with Hyperkin. If you've only seen like Hyperkin's HDMI outputting NES, then you would think everything they make or everything with the Hyperkin logo is garbage. And that's not true at all. They, they do a lot of very good things for the community. They get a lot of products out. They just have some stuff that's total garbage. Maybe that's the case with old school, but I've never seen anything good. So especially their power supplies. So, you know, another kind of strong opinion here. When you see that logo on something, be careful. So uh, I do have a link to one that I have tried in the past that I thought was neat. The only downside is if you have the taller Famicom cartridges, it won't really fit. But if you have the normal sized ones, it fits. It looks cool. The edge is beveled. I don't think the um, the contacts were hard gold, but it's another opinion of mine that that matters so much less than a beveled edge and proper voltage, which with the pass-through adapter like this, you don't have to worry about voltage. So uh, I'll leave a link in the description for the one that I've purchased. Uh, if I were you, I would give this a try, but do before and after pictures with your cell phone. Depending on what cell phone you have, you might need to put it in macro mode. Make sure, I mean, it's a pain to get pictures. It's so hard to get pictures of beveled edges. So also you might want to use a magnifying glass, whatever else, but do before and afters to make sure that the contacts aren't scraped up after, you know, after whatever method you use. But if I were you, I would absolutely give it a try. I would just do so with the mentality of this thing might go into the garbage. Now, if you bought it from a place like Amazon and you're still in the return period, return it and write in the return, bevel, edge is not beveled. This is dangerous to use. Maybe even put a review up on Amazon. Cool, save yourself some money. But I'm assuming that so you, know, you said you obtained one. You probably picked one up at a thrift store or a game shop that, you know, it was just taken trade-ins and forgot to check or something like that. So I would give it a try first and then try to find one that does have a beveled edge. But um, if anything I said didn't make sense, please re-ask. And, uh, you know, I think the most important thing is a compliment to you, Scott, for even looking. Excellent that you're remembering this stuff because more of us need to continue to remember that and then we need to give our feedback to these companies because that's the only way they're going to stop making garbage. Shorjor Steinholm wanted to follow up on the discussion we were having about what would happen if you took multiple PlayStation 2s that wanted to run a multiplayer game and loaded the same game off of the same RetroNAS server on the same network all at the same time. Apparently it works totally fine, <laughs> which to be perfectly honest, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. Thank you very much for following up, but unless it was something like you were using a Raspberry Pi 1 with a, you know, 10100 network card, so both the CPU and the network wouldn't have been able to keep up. Unless it was an extreme scenario, I think I, I don't imagine a scenario that that wouldn't have worked okay. You know, you plug in your wired Ethernet, you have a couple of them going, and Shorzer also wanted to, to chime in about since these 
methods of loading games were for optical disk images. They're only reading, not writing. So it's not like you have a mechanical hard drive being read and written to at the same time and, you know, potentially in the same sectors. So this should actually be uh, pretty safe for everybody to try. So thank you very much for following up. I was kind of curious about that, but uh, I'm glad that it all worked out. Andrew Jennings is looking to downscale a PC and other sources through a GBS control into a consumer TV that only has composite video inputs. So this is a complicated question and a, a list of complicated solutions. The easiest thing by far is to find yourself in Extron Super Emotia, and that has RGB, S-Video, and composite outputs in it. So you could absolutely try to do it that way. Um, and it's not going to be completely lag free, but it's gonna be very low latency and it's gonna work fine. S-Video will look great. Composite will look fine. But finding an uh, Extron Super Emotion is going to be very hard. You're going to pay a lot of money for it to the point where you might even just wanna go. I mean, you might actually get hit like RGB monitor territory of money to find one of those now. That's um, just not, they were never that common anyway. So I don't think that's gonna be the best solution. You could try to get a converter, but composite video is never going to look right when you go from RGB to composite. It just doesn't matter how much you spend on it, doesn't matter who makes it. RGB to S video can look very good. It's not going to be as good as native S-Video from whatever source you have, but it's going to be good enough that in your scenario of, you know, I'm assuming that because you have these items, you probably game a lot on a flat panel, but you also want to include your CRT into the mix now and then. In that case, then I don't think you'd have a single complaint. But here's the where things get a little more complicated. The current CRT Andrew owns only has composite video inputs, not S-Video, not component, not RGB. So what I would say first is, what is this CRT to you? Is this something that's got sentimental value? It's the one your parents grew up with. You love it. It fits perfectly into your setup. So, you know, is this, is it important to you to keep that CRT? Um, and if so, would, is it important that you use it? Or is this something that you could leave in your basement or attic and, you know, build like a, like a mini retro corner with just this one day? If that's the case, if you want to keep it, I'll talk about that at the end. But if you don't want to keep it, trying to just keep your eyes open for a free or near free consumer CRT that has those extra inputs is still plausible. A lot of people tell me where they live in their areas. It's totally impossible. They never see them, but just make sure that you're looking in the right places. You know, eBay, you're mostly going to find scalpers. Um, Facebook marketplace is still pretty decent. Craigslist is hit or miss. I mean, on the same day, you could find some idiot trying to sell a junk CRT for a thousand dollars. And you could also find somebody saying, you know, $10 to pick up, you know, beautiful CRT, but bring a friend because I don't want to lift it type of thing. So, I would really kind of look and see, because if you could get one with component video inputs, you could use the GBS control to do all that for you. Um, you have to change one resistor to get better quality component output, whatever. Um, if you find one with S-Video, then you could get a converter. And here's the last part. And I'm going to, this should encompass like the final part of your question here, but here's where we get a little complicated. So you could find these converters that go from RGB to S-Video and composite, but the composite is always going to have some crazy color issues on it 
which are very distracting. And if you were just building something as a fun art project, you know, dual display, here's one on the CRT thing, fine. But if you're talking about actually using it, it's not going to look right. And that is not the fault of any of the builders just to skip a very long explanation. It's the way color is generated inside the composite video signal. So if you wanted to keep that CRT, you said that in theory, it could be S video modded. That is, uh, but not RGB modded. So if that's something you're comfortable doing, cool, just grab one of those converters. But if you're not comfortable doing that, and if you're a beginner, you probably, with all respect, you probably shouldn't be messing around on the inside of a CRT, then you really kind of have to go from there and see what you want to do. Um, there is a, a demo, a demo, a prototype that I started to test the other day. Ivory from Retro Castle, who makes those awesome little mystery cases that output S-Video and composite using that same circuit, that same conversion circuit, uh, his boards have a variable capacitor on them. So you could just load up the title screen of a game. I used Sonic the Hedgehog and it's like a clock. So you just spin it around until you dial in the best setting and you don't have to worry about too tight or too loose or something. Just slowly spin and stop where it looks the best. You could absolutely get a pretty decent signal. And Ivory broke out that circuit to a separate board that I started testing during the live stream. And I think the board got damaged in shipping because that board was working fine in his lab. I got pictures of it working. And then when it got to me, it didn't work. So my guess is that something got smashed in shipping and something happened. But maybe uh, if Ivory finishes that project, that would be something that he would be willing to sell. A device with either a D-Sub VGA style or um, SCART port that would down or not downscale. I'm sorry. I don't want to redo this whole section, not downscale, just transcode RGB over those two input formats to S video and composite with that little dial. If you're willing to wait, maybe that's the solution. Like if this is your childhood CRT that you really just want to continue to use, maybe wait for that and see if Ivory is able to finish it. But with all respect to Ivory and everybody else who's a creator, whenever you're talking about projects like this, you know, people's day jobs, family lives, and everything get in the way. So things that are probably going to be released soon might take six months. So if you're in a rush, I would look into any of the other solutions that I talked about. If you're not in a rush and you really want it, you or anybody listening really wants to just go from RGB to composite video, maybe hang out and wait and see what Ivory can come up with. Because I also think that there were a few other changes that probably needed to be made on that board anyway. So uh, hopefully the next revision will be great. Uh, it'll never be as good as composite generated directly from your device, but I think at least you could dial in something that's a little bit better. So that's a long answer. I know this was confusing, but there is no easy answer to that. And I noticed that there weren't very many questions today, so I wanted to take some extra time to go over that for anybody who is interested in RGB to composite conversion. Another question from Andrew that's much easier to answer. They've been getting into working on CRTs and they want to work on their VGA CRT. Is the discharge procedure different on a VGA monitor um, or is it just the same discharge tool that they've been using to work on their standard 15 kilohertz CRTs? I am 99% sure that it is identical. Uh, unplug the power, 
before you open up the back, and I'm not really talking to you, Andrew, because you just mentioned that you've been getting into working on these, but to everybody listening, before you open the back, know that you can die by working on CRTs. It's a very small chance, but there is no chance of you dying while RGB modding your Super Nintendo. Not unless you do it in the bathtub with your soldering iron still plugged in, but in a realistic scenario, there is no chance of death working on a Super Nintendo. The chance is absolutely greater than zero of death working on a CRT. So you all definitely need to know that, especially if you're, you know, how would you know? Maybe you have a heart issue that you didn't even know of yet and you get zapped and that's it. You're done. So you need to understand that before getting into it. Disclaimers aside, it's the same thing. Unplug it from the wall, uh, unplug it from everything, actually. Take the back off of it. Use your discharge tool. Make sure your discharge tool is well grounded somewhere. Stick one hand in your pocket. Uh, if you have rubber gloves or something like that, you know, especially if you know any electricians or anybody that, from the power company that works in the power lines, wouldn't hurt to throw on one of those isolation gloves. Stick your discharge tool in there and wait for it to pop. Then wait a few seconds and wait for it and do it again. That was, you know, I discharged a few tubes myself, but um, smaller ones. And then when Jose was over one time, we were recapping that 32 inch JVC consumer grade. And I, um, he was like, all right, you do it. I want to see how you do it. So I used the discharge tool. He was like, all right, good. And I went to grab the anode cup and he goes, no, 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 do it again. I went, all right. And I went and there was another pop, not as loud as the first time, but there was another pop. Funny enough, I was uh, I pulled the CRT out of a consumer TV to and uh, to eventually install on my Sammy cab, and my friend was over and I demoed that the other day, and there was zero pop, and I was so disappointed because I wanted to show him because he said when he was a kid he tried working on a CRT and got zapped, and it really hit him hard. So I was like, oh, let me show you how to do it right, and I didn't even get the pop this time. But yes, same basic procedure: unplug from everything, be incredibly careful, and always remember that you could die doing this. Probably not going to, but still. And then uh, discharge under the anode cup, discharge again. And then I even, if possible, sometimes use the discharge tool to pop the anode cup off altogether and then kind of touch it again just to make sure. And then then it's safe to work on. But yes, that was a, you know, a full disclaimer filled answer that basically ends in yes, it's the same. Ghost of the Sun has been increasingly gravitating towards the classic composite video look, and they were wondering how much quality matters, if at all, when shopping for cables. They figure shielding and whatnot shouldn't be as much of a concern as it is with RGB, since composite is so noisy to begin with, but they just thought they'd ask. They're especially wondering for consoles like NES, which don't have OEM cables, and Genesis and Saturn, which weren't branded by Sega, making it difficult to distinguish OEM cables from cheap aftermarket options. So, excellent question. A uh, couple of answers to that. First, you were right in that the composite video cable itself, shielding isn't nearly as big of a deal. I mean, it's always nice, but uh, the, all of the interference is already there. So what you're shielding against is everything else. And that is where shielded cables still matter. So in the case of the NES, um, as long as you had a shielded audio cable, you should be fine. Now, you know, it'd be pretty silly to buy one cheap composite cable and one good solid mono uh, RCA shielded cable for audio, but, you know, uh, whatever. However you want to do it, in theory, that would be totally fine. However, using Genesis and Saturn, if your cables are unshielded, that composite video will add a larger, um, 
larger noise floor, so more of a ground hum to it, especially noticeable on all white screens like the Konami logos. So if you boot up a game, you're going to hear a lot louder of a hum on brighter screens if you're if those cables are not shielded properly. Um, there's a few other ways around this. I've been begging companies to make breakout adapters for 10 years now, and so far, a bunch of people said they were going to do it. A couple people uh, did just prototypes, and they're not out there yet. But this would be the perfect scenario for that. You pl um, imagine the Behar brothers, uh, Sedusa, Exedusa, I still don't know how to say it, but imagine that, but for all consoles. That's exactly what I've been wanting. So it'll break all of the stuff out on a board and you use your own shielded cables and you don't have to worry about this, but no one's made them yet and I just don't understand why. So uh, maybe they don't believe me that they would sell, but I, I think they would sell a ton for all of these reasons. Uh, however, um, since that does not exist, what you're stuck with is just trying to find cables that don't stink. So you could go to a, a place like Retro Access, uh, you know, and you, you, you named two consoles that are, you know, Genesis has some awesome soundtracks on it. So it's probably worth doing, but you could go to Retro Access and you could have them build you a custom fully shielded composite video with left and right audio cable. Uh, you could try to do something like get a if you're somebody who use, uses RGB SCART cables as well, you can get a fully shielded sync on composite RGB SCART cable, and you could then just break that out to composite video. If you're using something like a G-SCART switch, uh, you could just use that second output, grab one of those SCART to RCA dongles that you can get real cheap, and then plug your shielded cables into that, and there you go. There's your solution. So there's a few different ways to approach that, but I really hope people... You know, heck, maybe the Behar brothers would have time to do it, too, because they already made the... Uh, by the way, does anybody know how I'm supposed to say that? Sedusa, Exedusa, does it not matter at all? Is it one of those things that it's worded in a way to get people talking? That'd be cool, too. But um, I, hopefully somebody will start releasing stuff like that, because that would be the perfect solution of just having everything broken out. No more worrying about what cables are which. And while it wouldn't be the solution for everybody, I, I think it would be a consistent seller. So fingers crossed for that. Retro Music Dan said about a year ago, they ran the HDMI output of their PC through a generic HDMI to composite video converter and into their Sony Trinitron CRT. They don't remember anything specific about the experience other than feeling something like motion sickness, getting a headache, turning it off and forgetting all about it until stumbling upon the device again. We were wondering if I'd ever heard of something like that happening or know what the cause could be. Yes, absolutely. This is when you talk about de-interlacing or interlacing non-interlaced sources. So the number one time that you would run into this is if you buy one of those garbage pound cables and plug it into your Super Nintendo, what that chip is doing is trying to de-interlace 240 progressive, 240p, and it's uh, soft scaling it. So what you're getting there is this weird shaky image. And what you're doing when you're going from the HDMI to composite video converter is the opposite. You're probably taking a progressive scan image and making it interlaced. The reason you might be bothered by that is on content. So if you take like an old TV show that you find on Netflix, but that was originally broadcast in the 70s or 80s or, or maybe even 90s, and you that was probably 480i originally, maybe they rescanned it uh, depending on the show, but when you cut that back down to 480i, that's what your eyes would have been used to seeing in the CRT era anyway. So if you didn't grow up in the CRT era, I know you did, Dan, but if you didn't grow up in that era, yes, maybe you might be like, well, this feels weird. But if you did, that's just how it would look. 
But if you're taking like a high resolution PC image, so if you're taking like a 1080p progressive scan PC output and you're downscaling that to 480i, yeah, you could absolutely get some weirdness in there and it might kind of give you a headache. Um, but to continue on, Dan would really like to use the PC output on the CRT in the future as a cool gimmick in music videos, but they're slightly terrified at the thought. Uh, so that's a great use for stuff like this. That's why I always like that. I call them toys, but really any of those HDMI to composite converters or stuff like that, you know, they might work fine in your setup. You might watch an old TV show or movie in 480i in your CRT and it might work great or it might not. But for something like I want this as a cool background thing in a music video, I, I couldn't think of a better solution for that, especially considering how expensive and complicated the options are. So hell yeah, go for it. Um, they do have most of the components to make a GBSC, uh, and they think that might help. Yes, if you're actually going to use this for gaming, so you're going 480p to 240p, then yeah, GBSC is the answer. It's probably going to be great, um, and I'm sure it's going to be exactly what you were hoping for. So, you know, I kind of, when I was talking about, uh, I did the live stream a while back with Lewis from Zez Retro, and that's kind of what we went into there about how when you're doing this stuff, if you... I would always start with a quick and easy solution unless you know for sure what your target is. But, you know, just getting yourself a basic cheap Amazon converter like that usually is worth the 20 bucks to experiment with. And then you see if it's worth going through something like setting up a GBS control, setting it to downscaling mode and using that. But you already did the tests and you didn't like it. So I think it's time for the GBSC. I wanted to take a few moments to go through that, though, because I do think many other people listening might be able to just spend the 20 bucks, watch some TV shows and go, ah, this is pretty cool. But, I, you know, I, I wanted to talk through just so I get the right answer out. The Pask wants to know, what's my thoughts on the most recent retro gaming video put out by Linus Tech Tips, where they tell you to use USB-C to barrel adapters for retro consoles? I have not seen the video, but that's probably a terrible idea in most cases. I don't mean to disrespect the team. Uh, Linus and Luke have been very nice to me, uh, but you need to absolutely make sure that the voltage and amperage is correct. Now, there are voltage tolerances, so there are many consoles that could work between 7 and 9 volts or something like that, but how do you know? And how do you know what motherboard revision has that? And also, on the same side of things, getting a USB charger, how do you know what the amperage requirement is? So if you just get a USB-C cell phone charger, is that enough amps? Because... Uh, the way amps work, I know people, sometimes people get annoyed with this analogy, but you could have all the amps in the world and it doesn't matter because the device pulls how many amps it needs. So if you have a charger, nine volts, one million amps, doesn't matter. The console is only going to pull however many amps it needs. But if you have a, a charger that's nine volts, one amp, and the console needs 1.5, that could damage the console. So I don't think... Uh, you know, I think obviously the team meant well. I think they just kind of thought of like, hey, look at this neat idea. But I don't, you know, I think being in this industry every day and just seeing all of the consoles blown up from people doing stupid shit, this is going to be one of the reasons why that happens. Um, somebody is going to put a five volt charger up to a nine volt console or something like that. In theory, if you matched, if you had a console that could work on the same voltage as USB and you had a charger with enough amperage and you have the correct barrel adapter that makes sure positive and negative are oriented correctly, there's no reason why it wouldn't work. 
there's also no reason to do this when people far smarter than me have taken the time to go through and test all of the triad adapters to make sure that you get the ones that you want for your console. So the PASC said they just pimped out their setup with all new triad PSUs. Good, you, you did the right thing. You have, there's nothing to worry about as long, just label them to make sure. That's the only downside of triads is they all look the same. So you, you wanna do a very good job, get some silver Sharpies or something. Just label them so you don't plug the wrong one into the wrong console, but you did it right. Um, and you know, it, about the Linus thing, they're a general tech channel. They're not experts in everything. So I don't, you know, I'm not mad at them for doing this, but I do really wish that they would pull from their own collaborators and, you know, their own partners sometimes, because they could have very easily just messaged me and I would have given them all of that info for free and just helped them make the video pointing people in the right direction. And they kind of been doing that a lot. There was one video where they made a pretty big mistake where I was like, why didn't you just ask Epos Vox? It's like his thing. He's just the stream professor. You, you know, you could have just same thing. Epos is also on float plane. So, you know, I'm not trying to shit on the team. Like I said, uh, Linus and Luke were very nice to me over the years, but I hope they, I hope they at some point realize they have a vast network of buddies that they could call on for this to make their videos and the information that they give out even better. But this certainly was not some massive core looking mistake. Uh, this is just something that probably could have been done better. Marco Vizzini has a question about sync. It looks like Marco figured out the answer anyway, but I still wanted to address the original question because I thought it was good and I thought it was something that other people would probably benefit from. So what if you have a scenario, like you have a device, like an Extron Crosspoint that requires TTL level sync, and you could easily take something that's sync on composite or sync on Luma and run it through a sync stripper and you're done. But what about something that is originally C-sync? Can you strip an already only C-Sync signal? And the answer to that question is yes, but. So how do you know that the original signal is 75 ohm level C-Sync or TTL level? Because it's the same exact signal at a different voltage. And once again, sorry to just continuously pimp this video, but this is why I love that $30 scope. Then you just plug it right in. Like, that's the, you don't even need any of the adapters at that point. You would basically just, you know, take the end of the SCART cable and clip your probe to the ground and to the sync signal and just look at the voltage and go from there. And you need the 75 ohm resistance to, to get the correct thing. But if you have C-Sync out and it's under, in this scenario, please don't, don't quote me outside of this scenario, but in the scenario of you have something that needs TTL, and you know it's C-Sync. Well, actually, you don't even need to know if it's C-Sync. You put the little probe on, and if you only see the single square wave, it's C-Sync. If you see a whole bunch of other stuff, then it could be Luma, it could be Composite, whatever else. And then just look at the voltage. And if it's over a volt, beautiful. Put it uh, with the resistance, plug it directly in, you don't need anything. If it's under a volt, like most RGB SCART cables should be, uh, in fact, no, that all RGB SCART cables would be under a volt on sync, then you need to put it through a sync stripper uh, but if you wanted to get technical, you wouldn't necessarily need a sync stripper. You could just kind of build a little circuit to amplify the voltage. It just, the reason I would say use a sync stripper is because then you could do something like buy an off the shelf SCART to D sub device that does all of this for you. And yes, technically the filtering of the LM1881 would be useless. You at the very least know that you're getting 75 ohm level voltage in TTL level out. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And that's an interesting one because what happens if you have a bunch of sync on C-Sync cables, but a device 
that requires TTL. Yeah, I mean, your average uh, retro game nerd like myself would probably just run it through a sync stripping box just because everything you need is already in there. But if you wanted to double check that on your you know, little mini scope and you wanted to kind of look through and, and do any other kind of checking on that, that's kind of why I would use that. So great question. Adam Cameron just purchased a Retro Castle Mr. Case that has the Sega Saturn video output port. And they were looking for a quality, fully shielded Saturn to RGBS cable that outputs into RCA style connectors. Funny, that's a weird request, but that cable has popped up in the past few years. And at first, it was only on AliExpress, and people thought it was like a badly cloned HD Retrovision cable. And then come to find out, no, it's exactly for scenarios in which people just want to break out Sega Saturn to RGBS. So it has individual RGB lines. S is actually composite video on the one that I have, which means sure you could use it for sync, but you also get composite video out of it. The one I have that looks exactly like the one that you linked to is shielded. Maybe I should buy another one. Um, you know, maybe I'm going to buy the one from your link and cut it open, which I hate doing because I hate wasting cables, but I want to double check myself. Um, I'll leave a link just in case anyway, but oh, I hate ruining cables, but sometimes you're going to take one for the team. But yeah, that would be a great solution. And also, if you set your Mr. INI file to output component video instead of um, composite, you could then flip, uh, Adam says it's dip three on the Retro Castle board, and now it'll send component video down the RGB lines, which means if you take this cable, just ignore the composite video output, and now you have RGB coming out of it, which totally works. So yeah, uh, I, think, I think you nailed the setup, Adam. Now you have something that easily can get both component and RGB. Also, that case should probably uh, offer great quality S video. And if you have a little dial in back that you, you just need a flathead, you could get pretty good quality composite. That's what I was talking about before. So yeah, I think that cable's great. I'll leave a link to it and I'll, I'll buy one today and, um, and kind of see what I could do about that. Uh, I hate cutting brand new cables, but you know, you got to do it sometimes. Okay, now it's time for the SCART cleaner update, and I'm going to need your help finishing this project. Should be an easy one, but uh, let's walk through it. So I checked my notes, and I'm pretty sure that the main reason that I didn't post anything was because these VGA D-sub connectors were constantly going out of stock, and um, these don't all follow the exact same pinout, so you might not be able to find a good alternative for it. Maybe you would, maybe you're not. I just didn't want to leave that up to other people. Also, I noticed this audio bodge on the bottom, and I thought we fixed that in the final rev that I had JLC PCB built, but why did I end up with these? Did I, is it that I gave the pretty ones to my friends and kept the fixed ones here? I, I don't remember. So one way or another, I'm going to have to make another run of these. I'll probably just do another JLC PCB ad. So that'll be on me. Um, if you would like to double check the bill of materials for me, that would be amazing. That's always something I could use a lot of help on. Um, but this should be done except for one other thing. I decided to use a plug style D sub connector on it. Uh, so you could go directly into whatever device you're going into. Now this works great in many scenarios, except what if you have a cable or device that also has the little screw, uh, screw nuts, terminals, whatever you want to say on the sides of them, they won't fit. They'll bump into each other. And if you just, unscrew the ones on here, you lose the front shielding, which is fine, but then it's super easy to bend these pins. So I don't want to do that. 
so I came up with one solution that I ended up hating because of how tedious it was. But if you take the screws out, you could put them back through the other side and use them to screw into another adapter. Except that thing's in there real solid. I had to use tweezer or uh, like um, needle nose pliers to get in there. That didn't really work out so well. It's a pain. And then when I tried it on the second one, the screws were just a millimeter too short. And now they're kind of just stuck in there. So that's not a solution. However, can anybody find me screws that are a little bit longer than these would be uh, than the standard length screw that would hold a VGA ports front together that has a tapered Phillips or, or, um, or flathead end to them so that I, I could just specify that as something to ship with it. Or if you could find a D sub connector that doesn't have those terminals in it, because that way you could just unscrew these, screw the screws directly into them and now you have your metal shielding held on and there should be enough space even with that's why i said a tapered head so that you know there should be enough space to still plug something else into that but also if you're in a scenario like this where you'd like to have a more permanent solution you could just unscrew the screws put this thing on and then screw the screws through the bottom and not have to fumble with a uh, phillips head or um, not have to fumble with a needle nose you could just use a phillips head <coughs> so that's the two things I would love your help on. Uh, and also, if you think of, uh, can think of a better idea than the D-sub connector on the end, but a lot of thought went into this, because please remember that this project started because people wanted to go SCART directly into a Datapath Vision capture card. That was really the whole reason this started, and it wasn't until after it was created that people were using it for its low-pass filter, people were using it to go into Extron cross points. So, you know, we have to still keep the, the original use of the project there, but are there D sub connectors that don't have any terminals next to it? Now, that should be okay. Uh, but I think the screw solution is probably going to be the best. So if anybody could help me determine what those are, and if there's anybody out there that's really good at picking out screws, especially if you're already on the retro RGB discord, you could spend some time with me at some point figuring out the screws I need for different projects. Cause it's, it's maddening. <laughs> it really drives me crazy to try to find the exact right ones. So I'll put the full list of files up there. I will not put them on the website yet because anybody listening to this is going to understand that this is still a prototype. The bomb's not fixed. I'm not sure if the bodge has been fixed. I think it has yet. So I'll start by putting them just in the link in this video or audio if you're listening to it on, uh, on any audio-only podcast. And if anybody wants to help with that, awesome. And once we confirm this all works, I'll have another run made through JLC PCB and then I will launch those files officially. And once again, this is fully open source, so do whatever you want with it. If you think the D subhead is stupid and you want something else, cool, have at it. But I also wanna finish this for its original purpose. So uh, let's try to finish this one together and thank you in advance for any of your help. Well, that's it for this time. The questions were only on Patreon this week, but anybody who supports could ask a question, anything that you want, wherever it is that you support, just please put your question in the latest Q&A post because I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, as you saw today and every week, I really like just scrolling through in real time and answering these like we're hanging out somewhere talking to each other. So any question at all, just post wherever it is that you support. And as always, thank you to everybody who participates in these things because I do have a lot of fun doing them. Uh, and of course, thank you to everybody who supports in any way. So see you next week. I think. I might miss next one, but I think I'll be here.